You're listening to the light version of the Piece of Persistence. Visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash piece of persistence for complete access with double the content and zero ads. Hi, and welcome to the Piece of Persistence, the show where we seek to uncover the keys to happiness and success one honest conversation at a time. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and today we get to sit down with Katie Weatherup, one of my closest friends, my weekly accountability partner, and my sister in the short film Stealing Zen is Katie's cousin, Christine Weatherup, and I'm so grateful she thought to make this introduction. As a gifted, intuitive, and highly trained healer, Katie Weatherup has helped many on their personal paths by using the healing power of shamanic journey and soul retrieval. Believing that gurus are no longer a good fit within our modern culture, she teaches each person to trust themselves to be their own best expert. Katie is the author of Practical Shamanism, A Guide for Walking in Both Worlds, Sex, Shamanism, and Healing, My Kissing Quest, and Sacred Travel, Practical Shamanism for Your Vacations and Vision Quests. She says that working as a mechanical engineer, she has always understood the necessity of system integrity. The human spirit is a highly complex system, which can break down in complex and subtle ways. Much of her shamanic work is oriented toward wholeness. She helps people find their way back to themselves, all the parts they've lost, forgotten, denied, and disowned. She loves the elegance, simplicity, and power of soul retrieval, and it's deeply rewarding for her to know that an hour of her time is often life-changing for her clients, affording them unprecedented levels of wholeness and right relationship to the universe. Katie, I'm so excited to hear about all of this. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to get to talk about this, and um, it's just such a neat opportunity. So thank you for letting me be a guest on your show. You're so sweet. I'm so excited. And I would love to just start, before we get into all these things I know nothing about, (laughs) I would love to just start and hear about your upbringing. What were your early years like? very good. I mean, I have really kind parents who just didn't have the concept of energetic sensitivity. So most of the suffering in my childhood originated from aspects that in the culture that I was in, nobody had a reference for. So I grew up mostly in the country. We moved out when I was eight years old and my parents bought a farm that was 10 miles out from the nearest town that had three stoplights up in Northern California. And I got to raise goats and we had a horse and it's probably the best Christmas present ever was the year we got the horse. So I had a really cool farm experience with all these animals. And then in sort of self-defense of being so energetically overstimulated anytime I was around more than a couple of other people who I didn't know very well, I took the refuge of many bright, socially awkward people and delved into academic overachievement. I like to joke that I was queen of the nerds because Mm -hmm. I was academic decathlete two years running. So that means of the nerdy kids, I was the nerdiest of the nerdy kids. But my social development and my emotional intelligence lagged far behind. So once I got out into the world, a lot of my growth edge was dealing with those aspects. So yeah, I went off to college and got my engineering degree and then moved into, you know, this eventually through a slightly circuitous path. So we're talking about an unseen world. I have to admit, I know just about zero about shamanism. And so I'm curious, what can you tell us about shamanism and what can you tell us about its role in your life? 
most people aren't familiar with the term shamanism. It's actually gotten more popular in recent years. And I was really early when I wrote my book on shamanism. And so it sold really well because there weren't a lot of options and people were really hungry for information. Great. And now my absolute lameness about lack of marketing is being seen as more and more books are written. So it's definitely a field that has a lot of excitement and engagement, which is really cool. But I would say the average person on the street, if they saw shamanism as a written word, there wouldn't be super clear on the pronunciation. One of the maps that I really like is to say we have four quadrants of experience. We have mental body, we have physical body, we have emotional body, and we have energetic body. In our society, we're super biased toward mental body. So in high school, you probably had to take trig, but you didn't necessarily get a class on emotional intelligence. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. And while we pay attention to physical activity, like fitness and health, people aren't taught to even listen to like when their stomach is tightening up because the situation isn't good for them. Like, wow, this isn't the right match. This doesn't feel good. We override a lot of things with mental body and we have this unprecedentedly rich world to engage the mental body. Well, once you work your way around from the mental body, physical body, emotional body, and then you get into the energetic body, most people don't even necessarily believe or think about having an energetic body, which is perfectly fine. Like you can be totally healthy and functional in the world and kind of not think about it. But people like me who are energetically sensitive have a hard time of it because there's this incredible amount of information. Like I can feel someone's energy and their feelings and sometimes their thoughts. It's just a stream of information, which was super confusing when I was a kid because, you know, I'd get into a group environment and I'd just be bombarded by information and it was mm. like white noise. And I didn't know that not everybody was feeling that to the point that I was dissociative. So I don't really have a trauma history. I was very, very well taken care of for the most part, a few little bumps, but in general, really safe, protected childhood. And yet I was overstimulated enough and overwhelmed enough that I was actually having my awareness leave my body. What I would say about shamanism is it's a body of knowledge. There are lots of different ones. You could look to the Buddhist practices with meditation. There are things all over the world. There are these systems and these, these ideas that speak to the unseen aspect of who we are. And if everything's like going really smooth in your life, cool. But there are a lot of people who don't have an ability to navigate the energetic body and they're sensitive enough that that has some, some really negative effects. So shamanism comes from the person I consider my primary teacher, of his tradition. I never got to work with him personally, but is a man named Michael Harner. And he was an anthropologist who went into all these indigenous cultures to study them. And one of the things he noticed was across all these cultures, there were these common elements. They believed in power animals. They believed in this soul retrieval thing. They listened to a drum or used certain things to get into an altered state. They had this idea of a human in the tribe who could be the spiritual intermediary, who could go talk to the guides and get information. And bring it back for the well-being of the tribe. And what he noticed is like this was all over the world. It didn't matter that these groups had very little contact with each other. These same common themes emerged. One of the things that it's good to be sensitive to in modern culture is that sort of cultural appropriation. So whenever someone who hasn't deeply studied the Lakota tradition talks about like this group of people and has kind of lifted a piece of wisdom that's a little awkward and kind of out of context. So what's really beautiful about this core shamanism 
shamanism concept is it's tapping into what is universal about this way of understanding the unseen world that has resonated for people across cultures and time pretty much before Christianity came in. So cultures that didn't have a long, long Christianity background have more connection to their shamanic roots because it's been more recent, but you can still go back and see the common elements. And so he distilled this and he came up with a way to teach it in a classroom. So you can go to the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, which is an absolutely wonderful organization, and take a weekend class and listen to a drum and learn about going into an altered state, connect with your power animal and dance your power animal and start to develop this aspect that I think is a really good complement for the modern world. It's just, it's more about being whole rather than just sort of specializing in certain aspects. You know, there's a lot of like, are you talking to actual spirits? Are you talking to an aspect of yourself? And one of the things that I would say about that is I like the framework that I have helping spirits. That really works for me. But realistically, when I'm teaching a student, I don't care whether they, you know, interpret it as being able to talk to their inner wise woman or inner wise man or whether they're helping spirits or whether it's a framework where they go talk to the ascended masters of their religious tradition. The point from my very engineering mind is we get consistent results of people being healthier and making more holistic choices in their lives with this kind of work woven in. And you've talked about a shamanic journey and soul retrieval. I mean, along with all of this, they're completely new concepts to me and I imagine for much of our audience, what are they? Shamanic journey is about going into an altered state to access this wisdom that's available in that state. And in the shamanic framework, it's spirit guides and helping spirits. So what that might look like is listening to a drum. Um, there's a drum beat of three to five beats per second. It's a really rapid fire drum beat. And, you know, you see again, this indigenous cultures all over the world all have the same drum rate because it produces theta waves in the brain that helps you go into this altered state of awareness. People also use, you know, plant medicine, circular breathing with the didgeridoo, rattles, ecstatic dance. Like there are a lot of different ways. Fasting, again, don't necessarily recommend that. Like there's so much kinder, gentler ways. But there are a lot of different ways where you just relax that hold on the present moment and allow your awareness to go somewhere else. And we actually kind of do a version of that all the time. Like you're driving and you're thinking like, what do I want to make for dinner? Or you're visualizing where you're going to go, or you're thinking about somebody that you love. That sort of the screen of your imagination when you read a book and see the pictures is sort of the screen that these play out on. So one of the challenges I have when I'm teaching shamanic journey is people, it's sort of this mysterious term. And so people are expecting this like technicolor video to, to play out that <laughs> feels really different than anything they've experienced. And I would argue a lot of people are really connected to their guides. So when they ask really important questions, Sometimes they discount the answers because they've been getting the answer a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels really familiar. So yeah, what I like to do is listening to the drum, getting into the altered state. And this is my 18th year in practice. And so I have a lot of practice. So the muscle is really strong. It's the coolest thing ever that I get to go talk to my guides, you know, and they're available all the time. So middle of the night when you're not sleeping, great time for a shamanic journey for whatever you're fretting about. Even if you don't get clear messages, it at least interrupts the worry cycle. But I don't necessarily think shamanic journeying is for everyone. I think it's for everyone who feels drawn to it. But the soul retrieval practice and having some 
someone qualified work on your behalf, I think if I were in charge of the world, everyone would just have a soul retrieval. Mm. Again, it's this universal concept that you see in all these shamanic cultures that says when we go through trauma, sometimes we lose parts of ourselves. And psychologists would talk about it as dissociation. The shamanic geeks like me talk about soul loss. And the idea is that the soul transcends the human experience. So we have this embodiment and being a shamanic practitioner, I'm fully trained in helping souls to move on. And and so if something really bad is happening, the last place you really want to be is totally, completely present in the experience. And children in abusive situations, dissociation is often like their go-to. That's the best tool that's available to them. The trouble is that when your energy or your essence leaves a situation for protection, it doesn't know that it's safe. There's no time in shamanic reality. So it isn't like, okay, I've grown up, the abusive stepdad's out of the picture. Cool, I can drop back in. It's still reacting to the the most up-to-date information it had, which is, you know, I'm going to go hang here and I'll, I'll hook up with myself, you know, after death and we'll reintegrate with the higher self and that'll be cool. We also give parts away in relationships. That whole line in Jerry Maguire, you complete me, mm. um, makes, makes pretty much every like healing practitioner that I know of wince and cringe and go, no, no, stop telling the story that you're not complete without another human. Wow, that's a, yeah. that's a, a, a very, very bad story to, to have as a mythology in our culture. But we do, you know, it stabilizes the relationship. If I give you a little piece of me and you give me a little piece of you, it's not so bad when you're with the person, but it's really bad because people don't trade their soul parts back when they break up. They give back their stuff, they move out. But There are these people with these tremendous energetic ties because when you're intimate with someone, there's this incredible amount of energy that's shared and pathways that get established because of the intimacy of a a sexual and romantic relationship. But people don't know that they should disconnect all the pathways that lead to this other person. And so when I do a soul retrieval session for someone, a lot of times there are all these energetic ties to people who um, are their long ago exes and not anybody they want to be with. But they're like, why do I still dream about this person? I'm like, because there's a pathway, there's an energetic conduit between the two of you, and you can never cut ties with your own soul part. It's just this essence of who you are that you're always connected to. So if it's hanging with your ex who you didn't have a particularly enjoyable experience with it, you're still pulled in that direction. What I do when I do a soul retrieval is I just, I connect with the person. So I know their vibration, I know their essence, and then I go find these parts. And I'm like, okay, the bad experience when you were two, all over, you're safe, come on back. And I just regather these parts and I return them to the person. And even if somebody's not real resonant with shamanism, it's not that interesting. It's just a really good thing to do because it provides such a foundation. And so, like I said, I was running around taking all the classes and doing all the things and I'd already stumbled into shamanic journeying and I was developing that. And the minute I heard the phrase soul retrieval, I was like, I don't even know what that means, but I know I know, I want it. I know I want it. And so I went and received a soul retrieval. It was actually really beautiful. I got to do it with my mother. She was on board too. Oh, wow. So we got this this healing together that was was really special. And within 24 hours, because I'd been volunteering with Reiki for people with HIV and, you know, just exploring, I came out of it going, if I only get to do one thing for someone, I want it to be this because it'll change things in a single session. Even if I never see them again, they will go forward with their own birthright, their own energy. It's not even anything I'm giving to them. I'm just making the foundation of who they are available to them. And as far as how necessary this is, it varies tremendously. Like a relatively healthy person who, you know, is doing pretty well 
well, it, it's not necessarily that impactful, but people who've survived trauma often have really major soul loss. And I work with a lot of clients who've done all the emotional and psychological work. They've processed, they've released the trauma, they understand the context, they make really healthy choices in their life. So they've got all the parts they have access to working together in really, really healthy ways. That's another soapbox for me. Let's get all the parts of you playing nice with each other. Um, and they're doing an amazing job of that. But because we live in a society that really focuses on the psychological model of healing, they're just working really effectively with the parts that are left. And so imagine mm. how much more powerful it is if they actually get all their essence back. So that's just an absolute core passion of, of my work. And what's lovely about it, I mean, I'm a huge fan of like, learn shamanic journey if you feel called. It's super cool. But if you don't have that passion, have someone else, you know, do this work because it just sends you forward in the world with a more solid foundation in every, you know, life challenge you end up dealing with. Now, you mentioned that it could be a drastic quick change even in one session. Is this the kind of thing where for some people in some situations, one session might even be enough? I really orient my soul retrieval work to having it be complete in a single session. Wow. If someone is on the, the higher than 90 percent of the average person, you know, they do those percentiles of trauma. It's usually two sessions. So for about five or 10 percent of my clients, there's just so much damage that was done that a, that a follow-up session is a really good idea. And that's not usual. Like a lot of shamanic practitioners do soul retrieval in a series. And there's another modality I've studied that is the um, Alberto Violdo, where he has this four-chambered approach. And you bring back a single soul soul part and you work with the integration in these deep ways. And it's, it's a beautiful healing practice. But my guides were really clear that I'm probably, you know, one of the few people who like efficiency is a major principle in terms of the way that I approach my work. But people don't necessarily have the budget or the time. And there are a lot of things that you just do need to do a series like acupuncture. You can get relief in a single session, but for chronic pain, you really want to commit to a series of sessions. It's just, you know, a way better approach. It's sort of the gift and the beauty and the elegance of soul retrieval, the way my guides work with me is we really can go in in a single single session and do a very thorough wrangling of parts that left in childhood and ended up with other people and, and a lot of other stuff. Frankly, it's a very intensive session. And on the topic of rapid change, I do have people read an article that says, hey, warning label, you know, this this will mm -hmm. reorganize a lot of stuff because I've had people, you know, have their relationship come apart. They just didn't have the wounding in the area that made it worth it to make the sacrifices that made this relationship sustainable. Likewise, I look at things a lot in vibration. So if you're in a work environment that has some really unhealthy dynamics and you're a match for that because that matches your family of origin, it may not be pleasant, but it can have a lot of stability. You go clean up the core wounding around the family of origin in a single session, all of a sudden you could be vibrationally incompatible with the situation, with crossing of boundaries that's happening in that work environment, which can either mean you end up making a dynamic choice to leave, you know, because you're like, wow, this is just not okay with me anymore. Or you find that you get laid off very shortly. And that's not like a really common thing, but it's in the realm of possibility. You know, it, we do such a good job of, of attracting allies to co-create whatever our strategies are for meeting needs. And there's like the way that those lock together. So the clients I'm dealing with domestic violence come from like both parents came from that background and then they lock together. There's there are ways that our, our damage can really energetically fit together like puzzle pieces. So if you 
take that away, um, the sustainability of staying in a certain situation can change really quickly. You know, I talked to my clients years later and they're like, delighted with how much their life has changed when something like that happens but it's just never fun in the moment to that those moments where relationships end or jobs end like they're really stressful I still have dreams sometimes about my first major relationship that I left because it was so psychologically stressful to have that have that shift wow I was going to ask you if you would be willing to give us an example or like walk us through a brief introduction or exercise to something, but I feel like this isn't something you do briefly. <laughs> You're right. Brevity is, is not my superpower, but I'll, I'll, make, I'll make an effort. So one of the things I'm just going to recommend, it's on my website so you can watch the video, is something called Fire Ceremony. And it creates an energetic intervention. And a lot of times our emotional matrix just can't process everything that's going on or we've been caught up in repetitive things thinking. So if you're really, really mad at someone for a long time, you can form neurological pathways that play the I hate my ex tape over and over and over again long after you're ready to be done. So there's a fire ceremony you can do once or twice or 21 days, depending on how deep this is, where you blow into a leaf or a twig, which is basically light made into matter. Photosynthesis is pretty darn magical if you think about it. And you blow in what you want to release and what you want to bring in and you give it to the fire because then the fire does the work on your behalf and it, it dismantles the old pattern and you can um, invite in the new pattern. And it's a really good way, like a lot of the shamanic work is leveraging other resources so we don't have to, to do it all ourselves. And so if someone's really in a hole of grief or anger or has a lot of stuck emotionality or a lot of repetitive thinking, this is a really good practice. And again, it's a little more elaborate than that. I won't go into all the details, but it's for free, free video on my website to, you know, walk you through it with all the instructions. Brilliant. And we'll put it in the show notes too, but what was your website again so people can find it's you? It's handsoverheart.com. So H-A-N-D-S-O-V-E-R-H-E-A-R-T.com. Brilliant. And your three books that you've written are all there too. How did you decide to write your first book? Um, I was in the shower one day and my guide said, it's time to write a book. And I went, I don't know enough to write a book. I'm not ready to write a book. But I started and I found that I actually did have a tremendous amount to say. And so I wrote it um, a chapter here and a chapter there and then wove it all together and happily had some really good editors because I write shockingly well for an engineer, but not so great if you compare me to your average professional <laughs> writer. So my editors were super helpful in the quality of my book. It took time. You know, one of the things I learned about doing it, because I know a lot of people have a desire to write a book, is you kind of need to put off to the side the critic that's looking over your shoulder and like make a deal with the part of yourself that feels vulnerable about being exposed, that it'll get a chance to have an edit. Like, I promise I won't show this to anyone else until you get a chance to like check in with me about whether this is okay. But for now, just we'll talk later. Mm putting something out there, you know, for a lot of people, especially if it's a little on the woo-woo side, you know, there was a lot of human history where that could get you burned at the stake and that there's just nothing fun about that. So it's okay. It's safe. Most people think I'm an idiot, which is bound to happen anyway, um, <laughs> but I'm not putting my life at risk. Um, I'm not putting my safety at risk because a lot of times that feeling sort of resides in the background. So those are some of the ways that I, that I worked with it. 
Have you ever wanted to go on an adventure around the world and into the stars? Good news. Our former guest, G. Brian Benson, has written a fantastic new children's book. Readers of all ages will be enchanted as they find themselves swept away with Lucy and her very best friend, Chester, on their exciting adventures. Open your wings, become inspired, and let your creativity soar on this fun, rhyming journey that teaches young readers the importance of imagination. Just go to pieceofpersistence.com slash Lucy and Chester and join them on their amazing voyage. That's pieceofpersistence.com slash Lucy and Chester. Other than your inner work, have you had any other habits or traits that have contributed to your happiness or success? Well, one of them is I'm really disciplined about seeking out my own healing work. And the person I go to isn't like a conventional counselor. He does energetic work. He does counseling. He does kind of everything. And we've worked together for for a long time. But um, I think getting feedback from another person is a really important piece because we can't see our blind spots. And I still, you know, my, my childhood patterns of masking and suppressing emotions creep up on me. And so having a dedicated time where I'm going to sit down with another person and really be with the question of how am I really doing helps a lot because I think one of the challenges when you have a life path that is on a growth path is you quickly emerge if you're using effective techniques into having your life be better than it's ever been. Like my quality of life is so much higher than when I was in my 20s. And so, you know, you have all of these really excellent tools that can be used to facilitate personal growth, or it can be used to kind of like numb out and avoid the pain point that you really, really don't want to look at. And so, especially given that I'm liberally dispensing my ideas about, you know, how things should go to other people as a professional practitioner, Practitioner, I would argue that there's an integrity of what I want to bring as a professional practitioner of doing that, as well as that being a really critical piece to just make sure I'm not using my tools to stay stuck rather than using my tools to continue to grow. Mm. Also, I'm a much nicer human if I sit in my hot tub every night. I have this gorgeous hot tub out under the stars and, you know, oh. I was being all self-congratulatory. I don't yell at people in traffic. I just say interesting choice and I soothe my <laughs> light. And then my hot tub was broken for a week and I was like, why? Why would you do that? You're a horrible person. You don't care about other people. I'm like, I'm not <laughs> as involved as I thought. I was. I, I just, you know, I, I get this, you know, really peaceful decompressing time that has me really connected to my body. So hot tubs really important to the care and feeding of, of Katie being a, an agreeable person to be around, even for me to be around myself. Yeah. And I clearly need to come visit you sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. There's nothing better than a hot tub under the stars. That sounds great. Other than, uh, you know, having jacuzzis under the stars, if there were one thing you'd like the world to see differently through your eyes, what would it be? One of the things that just breaks my heart is so many really fundamentally good people are so hard on themselves. You know, there's there's this inner criticism and they just, it gets pushed away. Um, I was just l- listening to a, a Brene Brown um audio book and you know her TED talks on shame and vulnerability went viral and it's one of the most watched ever so I think there's this real hunger for us to be free of that but the vulnerability of exposing those those pain points mean we don't get accurate mirroring we don't get people look at us and say okay that was a misdemeanor in the grand scheme of things and then we have this society where all of this stuff that we need to get out of us often gets projected so when a public figure makes a minor error in sensitivity that 
that they're horrible, which sort of reinforces that. So that shadow work, that making peace with yourself kind of across the board, I think it's one of the more universal things. And, you know, I already mentioned, like, if everybody could have a soul retrieval, I just, I wish that that could be something that people have so they have their energy back. But in terms of geeking out on a piece of of work or wisdom, I really think the the shadow work and the self-acceptance and um, one of my um, Buddhist practitioners, I really like a woman named Pima Chodron who teaches Tonglin. Mm-hmm. Um, she talks about what she calls Maitri, which I may or may not be pronouncing correctly, but it's unconditional friendliness with yourself. Because I think self-love is kind mm-hmm. of an inaccessible code word. So um, upgrading the internal request to to be looking at like, how am I doing with unconditional friendliness? It doesn't matter whether I'm being an idiot, whether I was socially awkward. Like, I can cringe over the most benign, socially awkward moment that everybody forgot about. But years later, I can be like, oh, that's 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 horrible. Really quick shamanic technique for those moments. Again, the the guy that I work with, Sean Roop, um, has a really good thing that he taught me. It's called the transmutation breath. So when you have that, I'm cringing over that moment in junior high. I just still feel the, the tension and the contraction. Felt so humiliated in that moment. Our tendency is to treat it in our mind like hot potato, distract yourself, you know, at whatever cost. And if you can catch yourself, if you can notice that you're doing that, the practice is just to to breathe in the energy of that experience into your heart because your heart can transmute anything and then exhale as neutral energy. So the idea is you build a house of cards. It might be a really cool house of cards, but that's a pretty organized energy for this deck of cards. And then you can't like play a game with it or build a different house of cards. So it's super useful to like knock it down and then you can make something new. Only in our energy field, I just find people get things so, so, so organized that there isn't a lot of room for growth. It's like this unseen, you know, hoarder kind of thing, like a hoarder's house mm. where they've got like, here's the imprint of the mom stuff and here's that. And I'm all about like, let's just let's just put those back into neutral energy so you have the freedom to choose in a really contemporary way. If you can notice and not do the knee jerk, like I just want to push that excruciating, painful memory away. And it can be great to practice with like things that are a two on the humiliation scale rather than jumping right to the 10 but you can you can breathe it in intend that your heart transmuted exhale it as neutrality and just do three or four of those those breaths and maybe you don't finish the one issue in one time but you you move the energy and it starts to to dismantle the construct that is like the hungry ghost following you around remember when you did this stupid thing um mm. you know those are those are no fun so just sort of a pure acceptance of yourself in every moment I think that that's a a work in progress. I think that that's a a very engaged practice, you know, like like when you're walking on the treadmill at the gym, you're doing a thing and it's an exercise and it's a discipline and it's an awareness. So it's very active. The thing about the breath is you're actually doing an energetic transmutation because nobody wants to torture themselves. Like nobody wakes up and says, I think it's a great idea to torment myself with every bad thing that I've ever done. The brain has this weird quirky thing where we don't live with a lot of poisonous snakes in our environment. So the part of our brain that in hunter-gatherer times was like, note the poisonous snake that had really, really bad effects and this person died or you were horribly sick and watch for poisonous snakes forever and run away from them. In some crazy way of how that system, it, it sort of turned its way over to emotionality. So it treats bad feelings like poisonous snakes and our brain like 
goes back and pokes point pain points like whatever you do avoid a situation where you could feel this way it, it it feels like it's life or death and it's it's one of the things where whatever set of tools you use there are a ton of tools meditation um whatever it is if you don't supervise your brain especially if you had a really activating childhood where there was a lot of abuse or trauma your fight or flight is just going to rev higher and that'll feel normal like your baseline could be pretty darn activated and it just feels completely normal because you've never known anything else so just intending to be in that maitri that unconditional friendliness doesn't necessarily produce a lot of results but the transmutation breath is an active practice that literally transmutes energy so if i were looking at you doing that breath with a with my shamanic vision i would see this energetic construct get dismantled and become just this this open flowing movement of life force energy and the fire ceremony that i mentioned earlier does much the same thing it's just more formalized it's nice because it's it's a deeper energetic intervention but the transmutations breath is is nice because when your mind's just relaxing while you drive and decides to torment you with past offenses it's something you can work with right in the moment well, that's good. No accidents from any of the shamanic work. That's important. <laughs> no, no. I tell people like, don't do the guided journey while you're driving. Don't do it. Not a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I could talk to you literally for hours, but um, I will go ahead and ask you our last question, which is just, do you have any other advice for us? No, I, I think that I have very much enjoyed talking with you and it's, it's just been absolutely delightful. And I love the quality of the questions that you're asking. So um, it's just really been a joy. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to come and talk to you about these things that are near and dear to my heart. Thank you so much. And again, if anybody wants to reach you, it's at handsoverheart.com. Yes. Perfect. Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. I really Really appreciate it. It's been absolutely a joy for me. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoyed it a lot too. And thank you all for joining us today on The Piece of Persistence. If you're listening to us on Patreon, thank you so much for your support. Every little bit means so much to keeping me going and creating this content with these amazing guests. If you found us on the light version, we're glad you're here. And if you want to hear more from Katie and all our guests, you can find our extended versions on Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash piece of persistence. It's also a great way to support the show if you like what you see and hear. It's been a really incredible season so far, and I'm so grateful for each of the guests on the show, including Katie, and how much insight they bring. Thanks, as always, for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on The Piece of Persistence. Sing and dance at night It's the other people around And our dreams that live